We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com. This is the LakersNation.com podcast. Team USA just got the win over Greece going live a little bit earlier than we normally would on a fun Friday. But again, Team USA just wrapped up their game against Greece. So want to come on. We'll talk about that game a little bit. We'll talk about Austin Reeves performance. Certainly talk a little bit about the Lakers defense. I think we're picking up on some things that we're starting to become a consistent theme with Austin Reeves defensively. We need to talk about that and what it means for the Lakers defense. We'll talk about the shooting and, of course, the schedule, which dropped yesterday. Tons to dive into. But what we do, make sure if you are coming in uh, to the YouTube channel, you hit that like button on this show. Even if you're watching it after the fact, hit that like button. Make sure you are subscribed as well. And then podcast listeners, five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Great, very quick, simple, easy way. To help out the show. All right. So Team USA got the win over Greece. This is uh, their second to last tune-up. So they have one more tune-up game coming up on Sunday against Germany. Our old friend Dennis Schroeder and Germany. And then it's off to the FIBA World Cup, which those games are going to be much earlier in the morning. They're going to be like 5 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, which is, is, is rough. But nonetheless, FIBA World Cup will be start up after this. This was the second-to-last tune-up game for the U.S. So, all of that being said, we've got um, plenty, plenty to dive into here. I'm trying to pull up the stat sheet. There we go. Ultimately, the U.S. wins 108-86, to and our guy Austin Reeves only played 15 minutes. Only played 15 minutes in this one. I know Lakers fans would, on one hand, want to see him play more, but on the other, don't want to see him play too much and maybe get hurt. But Austin Reeves, three of four shooting, two of three from deep. The shooting stroke looks great. 11 points in this game, three of three from the free throw line, but just one rebound. No other counting stats. No assists, no steals, no blocks, which is rare for, for Austin. Again, only a 15-minute stint, but still, uh, he did have a really nice pass to Walker Kessler, who blew a dunk. Um, although I did think that, that Walker Kessler had a fantastic game in this one. And I think, you know, specifically from the Team USA perspective and not necessarily just drilled down onto Austin Reeves, what I really liked about Team USA in this game, like Anthony Edwards, of course, was great. I think he is their best player. That is becoming more and more clear. Anthony Edwards played 17 minutes, and in 17 minutes, he had 21 points on 8 of 16 shooting. Incredible stuff from him. But I liked that Steve Kerr in this game 
16 minutes to Walker Kessler. 16 minutes to, to Walker Kessler in this one. So instead of Paulo Bancaro, Bancaro only got nine minutes. They had been going small with Bancaro at the center position quite a bit, almost in kind of a Draymond-esque role. That's what we've seen Team USA doing, trying to put Bancaro into this role. And it's been more missed than hit. There have been some moments where Bancaro has done well, but there's also been a lot where he hasn't. And so Paulo Bancaro being your backup center. I don't know. I thought Walker Kessler looked really good in this game. And I'll put the box score up on the screen here for everybody watching on YouTube. I thought Walker Kessler was really good and made a difference. Just having another big, a true big out there that can protect the rim a bit, that can rebound. I thought that was actually a, a pretty big positive for, uh, for team USA in this one. So um I think you probably, I, I, as I'm watching this game, I was thinking, man, is Walker Kessler taking Paulo Bancaro's job right now? Is he taking that role? And I think maybe the answer should be yes. He had five boards, one block for Walker Kessler, but it was just such a noticeable difference having a true rim protector out there. I like Paulo Bancaro a lot. I like him a lot as a player, but asking him to be your backup five. I just wonder if you're asking him to do things that's just a little bit too far outside of his wheelhouse. Right? Is that really what he like? He he's a big dude. He can play the center a little bit, but he's not the same rim protecting presence as a guy like Walker Kessler is. So again, I like Ben Carroll a lot. I just wonder if the skill set, if the fit is a bit better with Walker Kessler. And I think today's game said yes. Said Walker Kessler looked really good, with the exception, of course, the blown dunk on that great pass from from Austin Reeves. And I thought that the officiating was not very friendly to, to Team USA, particularly at the rim. They were calling a lot of you know, questionable things. They got creative with the whistles and still Walker Kessler was an impressive deterrent at the rim. So I do think Team USA should make that switch and start running Walker Kessler more often. Unless another team is really going small, I think he makes more sense than Paulo Bancaro does as your backup five. Bobby Portis was very impressive in this game. Finishes uh, five of nine shooting. Uh, just brought the energy, brought the intensity 10 points for him, seven boards. Liked a lot of what Bobby Portis was doing out there. Tyrese Halliburton is always a lot of fun to watch, but did have four turnovers in this one. Cam Johnson shot the ball fairly well, three of seven from deep. I liked what he brought as well. And then Mikhail Bridges, I thought defensively, had probably his best performance so far with Team USA. Brandon Ingram, quiet in, in this one, seven points, three boards, two assists. Played 22 minutes, but, you know, this was... You could tell this was a feel-out game for Team USA. This was Steve Kerr trying a few things that he hadn't really tried yet, some rotations he hadn't really tried, because you'd have to imagine the final warm-up for the World Cup coming on Sunday against Germany is going to be more of a true, this is what we're actually going to run in the World Cup run-through, a dress rehearsal, if you will, for the World Cup. I think that's what we're going to see on Sunday against Germany, which, by the way, we do these games live over on Playback. So if you want to watch Team USA, you want to watch Austin Reeves play, come join us. Come join us over on, on Playback. And um, yeah, you can hang out and uh, and watch the game with us. And then, yeah, we talk Lakers basketball throughout. We watch the game. We take it in. It's a good time. It's a good time. So come join us over on Playback, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation, where you can find us for these Team USA games. I don't know that we're going to be able to do the actual World Cup games because they're on in the middle of the night uh, here in the U.S. Might be kind of tough doing that. I normally would say, you know what, I'll just do it and, I, and I'll sleep later or whatever. But 
Um, I'm also going to be traveling during that time too. So that's going to make it a little bit difficult, but I will say we, we will at the very least have Sunday's game also kicking around the idea of playing some classic Lakers games like Lakers versus Celtics game seven uh, over on playback um, like Kobe's final game, you know, all the kind of fun games. Maybe we'll do the, the championship game from 2020, the game six against Miami. We'll do some of those games and put them over on playback and, uh, and hang out and do some watch parties with those. So that's another thing that we're, that we're looking at, uh, doing, adding in. So all of that being said, if you're asking, uh, people are asking in the chat where to find the box score, you can actually find it over on uh, USA Basketball's website. That's where I'm getting this box score from. It didn't update great during the game, but looks like it is up to date right now. Uh, other thing I want to talk about before we move on to just Lakers, it's the defense. Um, Austin Reeves. So this has now been a consistent theme throughout every exhibition game that Team USA has played. Uh, Austin Reeves has been uh, getting picked on a bit defensively. Not to say it's always been successful, but opposing teams are going out of their way to isolate Austin and go at him, which is interesting. We do see that happen a little bit in the NBA, but interesting that it's happening at the international level. We're seeing guys go at Austin Reeves specifically. And Austin in this game got in some foul trouble. There were Again, there were some creative, creative whistles in Team USA against Greece. So, all right. Yeah, you know, we, we got to factor that in. There were a couple of fouls that were called on Austin that I didn't think were actually fouls, but that's the way it goes sometimes. The main idea is that uh, what time on Sunday is the next game? The next game, same time as this one. So it'll be um, 9 a.m. Pacific time. So um, when I look at Austin's defense, it's, I think he's a good defender. I like, he can sometimes get beat at the point of attack right? In terms of staying in, just staying in front of his man, but he does a pretty good job recovering from that point. And then he's not bad swiping down at the ball as a, as a player goes up. He's pretty good at just keep keeping vertical and keeping a hand up when the moment calls for it as well. He's not an easy guy to beat. He's not an easy guy to beat, but he can be beaten. And what it got me thinking about is seeing that this is happening with team USA. It's we've heard all about the Lakers plan. The Lakers plan is to make Austin more of an on-ball player next season. That will push D'Angelo Russell, Gabe Vincent, whoever else is out there with him, a bit more off-ball and give Austin a little bit more responsibility in terms of playmaking. Of course, he was a huge part of the Lakers last season, their third best player, a tremendous growth, part of Team USA. Now, it makes all the sense in the world, especially with a LeBron James who doesn't want to have to handle the ball quite as much as he used to, doesn't want to be responsible for initiating the offense every time down, for him to cede some of that to Austin. So, if you do that, though, our team's going to go at Austin that much more defensively, try to wear him out defensively. We already heard Austin talk about uh, talk about Steph Curry and the series against the Warriors and how chasing Curry around kind of wore him out and took away a bit from his offensive games. Do we see teams try to pick on Austin Reeves even more next season? We know that now Austin's not catching anyone by surprise. He's not. At this point, he's with Team USA. He made all the big plays during the postseason. He's got everybody's attention. He just got paid. Got a big contract. He's got everybody's attention. Teams will now be scouting Austin Reeves. They will be game planning for him and doing what they can to try to make him less effective. And so I do wonder, are we going to see more 
of teams trying to isolate Austin Reeves and go at him defensively. I think what we've seen is that he's not bad if a player is his size, if a player is even a player that's a little bit quicker. Austin's pretty good at taking angles, but when a player's got a little bit of strength on him and can get a step and get into the post, Austin can struggle a little bit there. So I am curious to see, number one, does that continue into the NBA season? Do we see teams specifically go at Austin? And yes, as the chat is noting, everybody says that about Steph Curry, 100%. 100%. Like this, that's not unique. That's not unique to to Austin Reeves and to Steph Curry or, or anything like that, right? That's a number of players will get worn out trying to chase around Steph Curry. It's just, it's the way it goes. But um, do we see teams really try to pick on Austin Reeves defensively? And if they do, is there a domino effect for that? Is there a domino effect? Is there a, a domino effect where the Lakers go to Vando? Right? I mean, we've been, been debating for a while. Is it going to be Rui in the starting five? Is it going to be Jared Vanderbilt? And I've been saying it's probably going to be Rui. The money says it's going to be Rui. Uh, I, I thought Rui was the the more dependable player in, in the playoffs. I think that his size is very helpful. Now, again, Vando is technically taller, but Rui is certainly bigger, more physical, stronger, that sort of thing. Uh, I think Rui is more of a presence in the paint defensively. Vando more of a presence on the perimeter. But if teams are going to go at Austin, and assuming D'Lo is in the backcourt as well, does that push you more towards starting Jared Vanderbilt and letting Jared Vanderbilt take the other team's best perimeter player? Now, obviously, you're going to give up quite a bit on the offensive end. Unless Jared Vanderbilt, and I hope this is the case, Jared Vanderbilt uh, improves his three-point shooting and or his finishing at the rim, if he can do both of those things would be fantastic. He's going to make a fortune next summer if he doesn't do an extension this summer. Um, he's going to make a fortune next summer if he can do those two things. But assuming that Vando does not improve in those offensive areas, and again, we hope he does, does that put us in a situation where... Um, does that put us in a situation where playing Jared Vanderbilt in place of Austin or in place of Rui makes more sense because you can put Vando on the other team's best perimeter player. I think that Austin otherwise will draw that assignment. And yeah, that's, it's something to watch. It's something to watch because it could necessitate playing Jared Vanderbilt in place of Rui. If Austin continues to get worn out the way he's getting attacked on defense. All right. Something to watch for LA's defense. But yeah, people are talking about in, in the chat, talking about the Team USA box score. It's not great, folks. It's not great. Like it's international ball. It's not like like ESPN does a pretty good job with their box scores. The NBA, NBA.com does a good job with their box scores. We know right after the game, everything's going to be pretty accurate. It's just not the way that it always is with FIBA play, particularly with FIBA exhibition games, it's not always going to be the most accurate thing. So just be aware when you're looking at the box score for Team USA, just be aware that it may update um, and they change, you know, shift some things around here and there, and you'll get some differences. That's what I've been noticing. When they were against Spain, they were even having to link to a, a box score that was in Spanish for people to look at. It's just, it's not the same as when it's like an NBA game or, or something like that. So just keep that in mind 
when uh, when we're watching this. Um, the other thing I'll say, and I see it a little bit in the chat. Some people are you know complaining about Austin Reeves, saying, "Oh, he's not really all that good," and all that. I think there's a few things going on here with Austin and this anti-Austin backlash that we're seeing. Number one, it's there's a lot of Lakers haters out there, and Lakers haters don't want the Lakers to have a good young player, that, of course. So anything they can do to talk themselves out of Anthony Davis actually or Austin Reeves actually being a good player, they're going to, right? That's that narrative is going to come up. But I also think that there's a lot of vocal support for Austin for a few reasons. No, I mean, part of it is, yeah, he's a young player that Lakers fans can get excited about. But another part of the reason why Lakers fans are talking about Austin Reeves so much right now, no one else is playing. LeBron's not playing. AD's not playing, right? That the other guys on the team are not playing basketball right now. Austin is. We get to see Austin play a few times a week right now with Team USA. So that is going to fuel the conversation because we've got stuff that we can break down, that we can see. We're seeing him do this. And so that's going to add more fuel to the fire and create a bigger Austin Reeves discussion. More people are going to be talking about him because we're seeing him do stuff right now. But that's also leading to more non-Lakers fans, Laker haters, if you will, getting annoyed that, oh, Austin's getting all this all this publicity. And you know what? I thought that heading into the Team USA selection process, as Austin, it was announced that Austin was on the team, there was a lot of backlash. There was a lot of, oh, Austin's not really that good. He's only on because he's a Laker and all this kind of stuff. And everything we've seen from him has said the opposite. Everything we've seen him do with Team USA has said he belongs. And he's actually one of their better players. He's Probably their sixth man, he and Halliburton, are the first subs off the bench. And I believe it's it, it's that way for a reason. So on one hand, I understand why maybe fans of opposing teams would feel like it's Austin Reeves overload right now. But there is reason for that. Part of it being that Austin is the only Laker playing right now. So of course he's who we're going to focus on. If it was Gabe Vincent playing right now, we would just be focused on him, right? But it's also that he's actually really good. And he's showing that with Team USA. And again, we've talked about this. What I love is that Austin at every level, whether it's the Lakers in the regular season, the Lakers in the playoffs, Team USA, he just does what he does. He just goes out there and does his thing. He doesn't seem to be phased at all. And he just continues to produce. So I don't mind the anti-Austin backlash so much. That's natural when a player gets this big groundswell of support. But understand that this is not out of nowhere. This is not Lakers fans being irrational. You can't just dismiss Austin with that. Why? Because he's backing up all of it on the court. He's doing it. We're seeing it. Game in and game out. And he's getting praise from players around the league. Other basketball players are taking to social media to recognize how good Austin Reeves is. It's not like this is just being made up. It's not like this is Lakers fans overhyping a player. He's really good. He's a really good player. And I like um, Dill said he's a winning basketball player. That's it, exactly. He is a winning basketball player. And as Sonny notes here in the chat too, that three-point shot is starting to hit consistently. Indeed, the three, it's starting to fall. And uh, we love seeing that from Austin Reeves. The Lakers are going to need it. They're going to need him to be not just a highly efficient three-point shooter this year, but they're going to need him to be a high-volume 
three-point shooter this year. They don't project to be a great three-point shooting team. So it's going to be even more important, even more important that the Lakers are able to funnel more shots to Austin Reeves. Um, Kellen said, I know this is unrelated. Is there a front office Friday today? Yes, we are going to be doing a front office show uh, today. That's coming. We didn't do yesterday. Keith was, was real sick yesterday. Um, so we didn't do a show yesterday. Later this afternoon, we're going to do a front office show, though. Um, planning on uh, 1 o'clock Pacific time, right around then. Again, fingers crossed. Hopefully, Keith's feeling well enough to do it. But that's that's what we're doing with uh, with the front office show. We're going we're gonna to gut through one and uh, and get that done. So, yeah. So apologies. We didn't have one yesterday, but uh, Keith was not. It was not feeling great. He was under the weather. So uh, we'll get one in today. That'll just be coming in a little bit. All right. Oh, I like this comment. It said, if Austin had signed with the Spurs, whiny little haters would suddenly sing a different tune about him. We all see through it. They're scared. Um, and yes. And then he, of course, corrected to the correct there. Well done. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point. Right? Not that they're scared or I don't want to make that leap, but that if it was, if he was on another team, the non Lakers fans around the league would be, would not be lashing out against Austin. They would be singing his praises too. They would be super excited about Austin. If he's on San Antonio, if he's in Orlando magic, now again, he's not getting as much attention, right? The Lakers, big fan base going to get more attention that way. But if he is a San Antonio spur or something, he's probably the underrated darling of the analytics crew instead of getting all of this attention, you know, as a, as a Laker, but, but yes, if he's not a Laker, probably not getting so many haters, for example, you know, same argument as if Miami wins the title in 2020, nobody is saying bubble championship, right? Nobody's diminishing what they, nobody's running around saying, Oh, it doesn't count because it was in the bubble. No, get out of here. None of that's happening. None of that's happening. It's, the legitimacy of the championship in 2020 was totally dependent on who won it. The Lakers won it. And so people came out of the woodwork saying, oh, no, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. Blah, 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 blah. No. The entire conversation, we had this conversation a ton. We had a lot of time. We had the conversation a ton heading into the bubble. Is this going to be treated the same way as a regular championship? Everybody said, yes, we're starving for basketball. We haven't had sports in months. Yes, this is going to count just like any other championship. And then as soon as the Lakers won it, they changed their tune. Comes with the territory. When you win a lot, when you've won 17 championships, you wind up with a lot of haters too. That's what we see out there. All right. Let's get into, I want to get into the chat a little bit more. And talk uh, and talk about that. I also want to talk about the Lakers shooting a little bit more. This is going to be a bit of a shorter show than usual. We're not going to go, you know, to the hour mark or anything like that. But before I get to all of that, I do need to give a shout out to our sponsor, and that is NBA 2K Mobile. Remember all those unforgettable NBA moments. We'll get create ready to create your own epic plays with NBA 2K Mobile. It's the must-play mobile game for basketball lovers who want to conquer the court online. You can download the NBA 2K mobile app for free and start customizing your My Player and Dream Team today. I've been playing the game NBA 2K Mobile. It is 
Uh, it's a lot of fun. And what I like for me, like, I haven't been big into video games in probably a decade or so. So once my daughter was born, I haven't had as much time to play anymore. But I was able to sit down and pick this thing up and just kind of go. It's very intuitive, very easy to play, and very easy to, to run with. It just feels very natural playing and somebody who, again, isn't a big gamer. That, to me, is so critical that I don't feel like there's this crazy steep learning curve to this game. And yet it's also pretty deep in terms of how far you can really get into it. Uh, you can immerse yourself in the ultimate basketball gaming experience, collect player cards, build a custom powerhouse team, rise to the top. Uh, you can also uh, have intense matches on the beach cruise court. So you can play a summer theme, which is always a lot of fun. We're all thinking about summer right now. No question. Enjoying some of the, the warmer weather. There's tournament mode, events, regular updates, and non-stop Action. Showcase your skills, climb the leaderboard, and become a basketball legend. Uh, download NBA 2K Mobile free on the App Store or Google Play and use the promo code TATUM2KMOBILE. Okay? TATUM2KMOBILE to redeem an exclusive Jason Tatum Pearl tier card. That's T-A-T-U-M-2-K-M-O-B-I-L-E. That's the promo code. I I wish if I could adjust, I'd make it like Tatum future Laker. I do wonder if Jason Tatum's going to be a future Laker at some point. He loves the Lakers. Well, he loves Kobe. Don't tell Keith I said that. But at some point, at some point, that would be great to see. Okay. Welcome to the second half of the show here, everybody. I'm seeing a lot of people jumping in here. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Lakers shooting. Because as I said, they're going to have to funnel more of the shots to Austin Reeves, more of the shots to D'Lo. And I look at this Lakers roster and I wonder, did they did they really do enough? You know, we've seen in years past where the Lakers have chosen to address other areas at the expense of shooting. Where, look, finding guys that can shoot and defend, it's not easy. It's not easy. Those guys tend to make a decent amount of money. Not easy to find guys who can do both those things, who are true two-way players. And yet those are the two most important things on a team with LeBron. So you need to be able to shoot. You need to be able to defend. Same thing with Anthony Davis, right? You need guys around them that can provide floor spacing and can defend at a high level. The Lakers, more often than not, have said, give me the defense, and then we'll worry about the shooting later because they don't have enough money to get guys who can do both. Now, I do think that in Torian Prince who they got with a biannual exception, which is a steal, I think they've got somebody who can do both, which is fantastic because this is what they need. 44% and above for three straight years for Torian Prince on corner threes. Three straight years of better than 44%. Incredible. Incredible stuff from Torian Prince. If he can become another piece of the Lakers' three-point attack, they're not going to be a high-volume three team. They're not going to be the highest percentage three team. But if you can funnel your shots through Torian Prince, through Austin Reeves, through D'Angelo Russell, your three-point attempts, Gabe Vincent chipping in some. If he can get, he was 33% during the regular season last year. If he can get that up to 35%. LeBron, if he can get his three-point shooting, 32% last year, if he can get that back up to his normal average of about 35 36%, then I think the Lakers will be able to get by. What you don't want to see is the Lakers go the other way, wind up shooting 30%, 31% or something as a team 
then you're in trouble. Okay. You're funneling shots to the wrong guys. You got Anthony Davis shooting a lot of threes. I'm not that confident that Anthony Davis's three point stroke is going to come back. It's been years. He was a 33% shooter when they won the championship in 2019, 2020 hasn't touched that hasn't come close to that since then. So I am not holding my breath that Anthony Davis's three point shooting is suddenly going to come back. If it does, and maybe that's what we saw at the end of last season of the playoffs where he started shooting the corner three a little bit more. If that's the solution, great. Would love it. But I'm not going to assume that's what's going to happen until we actually see it. So I do think that for the time being, it's going to be about trying to feed the shots to the correct players for this Lakers team. In order for the three to not be a major weakness for them, they're going to have to be very selective with the shots that they take and who is taking those shots. It's not going to be easy. I look at this team, and I think that's their greatest weakness right now. I don't buy that Rui is going to shoot 50% from three like he did in the playoffs. I buy more that Rui is who we saw in the regular season, which is about a low 30 is in percentage from three. I buy that that's probably Rui, really. And if he gets to 34-something percent, I would take that for sure. His shot's very flat. He doesn't give himself a lot of margin for error there. I don't think he's suddenly become going to become a sniper from behind the arc. Uh, Gabe Vincent, is he just a 33% three-point shooter, which is what he did in the regular season with Miami? Can he get that number up with the Lakers? Does he get more open looks with the Lakers? More spot-up opportunities where he's a bit better, 37% when he's unguarded? That's not great, but that's certainly more passable, especially if that's the, the higher volume shots that he's taking. Jared Vanderbilt, can he start hitting that corner three? I think it's going to be a key. I think this Lakers defense is going to be just fine. Whether you want to put in Rui, you want to put in Vando, right? There's different pieces you can mix and match. Defensively, I think this team's going to be fine. The big question is going to be, though, can they keep pace from behind the three-point line? They're going to be playing teams that shoot an insanely high percentage. Look at opening night. You play Denver. I don't remember Jamal Murray or Jokic missing a three in the playoffs. They were hitting ridiculous shots. Aaron Gordon was hitting. If Aaron Gordon is hitting threes, what do you do? Right? Michael Porter Jr. is a great shooter. Contavious Caldwell-Pope is a great shooter. They're going to have a shooting advantage over the Lakers. You go to Phoenix, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, they're going to have a shooting advantage over the Lakers. Most nights, the Lakers will be at a shooting disadvantage. And that's okay. That's not the end of the world. They won the championship in 2020 at a shooting disadvantage most nights the question is how big of an advantage is it if you're the lakers can you keep that shooting disadvantage that you're at as to be as minimal as possible just get yourself to be on about average shooting team and again that's going to come down to funneling the shots to the right players that's going to come down to scheme that's going to come down to darvin ham also being careful with the lineup choices that he makes we'll see ultimately what's that what that looks like but it's going to be one of the keys that I'm going to be watching this season for the Lakers it's the three point shooting remember there was a point last season and this is a very different team this is a much better team than last season but there was a point when the Lakers were 2 and 10 to start the season where their team three point percentage was like 20% historically bad we knew it wasn't going to stay that bad forever we knew it would there was going to be positive regression coming at some point but can this team now, that is, again, unquestionably better than last year's team at this time of the year, 
can this team get the three-point percentage up enough? Don't have to be great, but enough to where the advantages, the other advantages you've got on the floor, the advantages in the paint that you're going to have, the versatility that, you're, that your team's going to have with all the different wings that you've got to deploy. Can your other advantages pay off? And can you continue to get to the free throw line the way that they did last season? Now that you've lost Dennis Schroeder, who is one of your better guys in terms of getting to the line, can LeBron still get there? AD, Austin, continue to get to the free throw line. That's going to be important as well for this Lakers team. Um, I've got... Rodell said LeBron has been bricking all kinds of threes last year instead of attacking the rack. That's what happens when you get older. And I actually think LeBron, if you look at the percentage of his shots that came at the rim, he was driving just as much. I don't have the, the numbers right in front of me, but I remember looking at it midseason. He was driving to the rim just as much as he was in seasons past. What he really cut out when we saw the increase in threes attempted, what he was really cutting out was more the mid-range. Um, we just, the threes were standing out to us more last season. That's what was happening with, with LeBron. The threes were standing out because he was missing more of them and because the percentage wasn't good. The threes were standing out more. When he shoots 35, 36, 37% from three and he takes a bunch of them because he's making a decent percentage, nobody really comments that much on it. But when he's not shooting the three as well, it suddenly sticks out, right? It's like when Russell Westbrook would miss a layup everybody would lose their minds. It's still a missed shot, but that's a shot that you should be making at a higher rate. And then it's it's frustrating. It's a loud mistake, right? LeBron missing threes, it's a loud miss because he'll miss a few in a row. Uh, he can miss them at critical moments. And then it gets the conversation to, well, why isn't he attacking? When you look at per game, LeBron actually took less threes per game last season than he did the season before. In fact, he chopped one three, one point one threes per game off of his attempts. Now he played a couple fewer minutes, or about a minute and a half less. So maybe that's a factor there. But still, his three point rate went down a little bit. Went down compared to the prior season. He's taking them at a lower rate. The reason why people noticed it more is because his three point percentage two seasons ago was thirty six percent. It's right about what he typically is. Past season, it was 32%. Makes a big difference. Makes a big difference uh, when you get that, that drop in three-point percentage. So he was attacking. Now, I can say he didn't get a lot of respect from the officials this last season. He got fouled a ton at the rim, didn't get calls. Also say teams were more willing to challenge LeBron at the rim, where previously teams would have just wrapped him up, just conceded the foul to stop him from freight training his way to the basket. As he's getting older, we're starting to see teams more willing to, instead of committing the foul, contesting the shot. Now, they still foul him at times, and I, I think he doesn't get enough of a whistle there at the rim. But as he's getting older, we're seeing players more willing to actually challenge him instead of just you know, give the, the take foul, essentially just wrap him up and, uh, and commit the foul that way. But nonetheless, I think LeBron's three-point shooting is going to be critical for the Lakers this season. I don't think it slowed down his attacks at the rim. Until he had the foot injury, then that, that was a bit more of a factor. But otherwise, I think LeBron, in terms of how the, his ratio of threes to drives, would like to see him funnel a little bit more to the drives and, and pull back on the threes just a little. But he's still got to take them. He's still got to. I mean, if he takes five a game instead of seven, 
Maybe that's maybe that's the solution, and that's enough of a drop-off. And Marie says, I think the three-point shooting was more of a result of the lingering foot issues. You know, that's something to look at, too. Um, what were his splits in terms of his three-point shooting prior to the injury? That's something to take a look at. And it's a good thing to know. You know, if you've got a foot injury, it, it's it's going to weigh on you, right? It's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. Um, it's going to affect you in a lot of ways. We certainly saw it with his explosiveness. So, yeah, I, I think there's probably something to that. Um, pulling up the stat now. Well, this past season, he actually shot better from three post-All-Star break. Pre-All-Star break, which we're talking, you know, he was injured, was it shortly after the All-Star break? Uh, Pre-All-Star break, LeBron shot 31% from three. Post-All-Star break, he shot 38%. Rounds up 0.3, 37.5%. He went on a nice little stretch post-All-Star. So the numbers don't bear that out, although I will say that the percentage did slip back down uh, in the postseason. And um, that's not. That's not ideal. Not ideal. I don't have his playoff numbers in front of me for this last season, but the foot did seem to start to bother him a bit more uh, in the postseason. In fact, here we go. Uh, playoffs. A lengthy playoff history here. Um, point percentage. Yeah. Definitely dropped. He only shot 20% from three against uh, Memphis, 33% against Golden State, and just 27% against Denver. So it did definitely slip quite a bit in the postseason. All right, I have a couple super chats to get into before we wrap things up here. Three Theory said, Rui's three-point shooting isn't something to count on, but you think after putting in work with Handy, the shooting improved 35 to 37%, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, again, that... Rui was very complimentary of Phil Handy and feeling like he helped his game out. And hopefully that is the case. But percentage-wise, and this is a decent sample, 30 games with the Lakers, 33 games with the Lakers, 30 games with the Wizards. Rui actually shot 30% from deep in the regular season with the Lakers, 34% with the Wizards. So he actually shot worse from three with the Lakers than he did with the Wizards. His shooting uh, it, it dropped, but but it picked up so much. It was, again, 50% from deep in the playoffs. So what's real there, I think we're probably somewhere in the middle. I, I think 35% is certainly possible. It's possible. His career average is 35%. 34.7% is his career average. So I think 35% is a realistic possibility. And if he does that, that's fine. If he's 35% from deep, more than fine. The problem is if he's 30%, like he was during the regular season last year. That's what you can't see. That's where teams will start to sag off of him. 35%, he's still a threat. He's sitting right close to league average. Teams will still defend him out there. That's going to be important. And again, three theories making the point. I don't think that's out of the question. That's not out of the question for Rui to get there. And Sanjay said, Rui is already a two-way player and deserves to start over Vando. His three-point percentage will fall between the regular season and the playoffs. He can guard three through five. 
I agree. I think if you ask me which one's going to defend a five better, Rui or Vando, Rui, it would be Rui. Um, I was talking specifically, though, if Austin is asked to be your primary perimeter defender, does that wear him out too much to where it makes more sense when Austin's on the floor to put in Vando to be that primary per perimeter defender? And is that the best role for Jared Vanderbilt? Is that how you're maximizing Vando and then you let Rui run the second unit? I can make an argument either way. And I like Rui a lot. If I had to pick between the two, um, if I had to, to pick between the two, we, um, I, I would pick Rui. And I've been on that side for a while now. If I had to pick, but it's very close. It's very close. And I can make an argument if Austin is getting attacked too much defensively and it's wearing him out for the offensive end, do you save him by putting Vanderbilt in and having him check a perimeter defender that Rui can't? You're not going to ask Rui to chase. You'll never ask Rui to chase John Moran, to chase Steph Curry. You can ask Vando to do those things and he can competently do it. So it's going to be interesting to see how Darvin Ham plays it. Big picture, the great thing is that Darvin Ham has the option to do these things. He's got a team that has so much versatility. He's got the option to, to go a number of different ways, which is fantastic. It's fantastic. Three theory. How y'all got a hurricane out there? Hurricane Harden. Hurricane Harden. Uh, I know Mark Stein had some, uh, some intel on that today. I haven't read the whole thing just yet, but um, we'll talk about it more on the front office show. But yeah, the, the Hurricane Harden was, uh, it is still... It is still forming. It's still threatening Philadelphia. We'll see what ultimately happens there. And I do think as we're getting into, you know, getting closer to the regular season and the urgency is going to ramp up to sign a 14th player to the roster. And we're talking Christian Wood. We're talking Bismack Biombo. The closer we get to the regular season, the more the urgency is going to ramp up for the Heat, for the Blazers to get something done for the 76ers to get something done, the Clippers, if they're going to trade for James Harden, the urgency to get stuff done, it's going to ramp up the closer and closer we get to the season. So just still be patient. Be patient. I have confidence by the time, um, by the time we get to, by the time we get to um, the, uh, like mid-September. I think we're going to see that 14th roster spot re uh, resolved. Oh, you're talking about the real hurricane. The re I thought, I assumed you were talking about our front office show segment. I have no idea. The weather is crazy. I have no idea. But um, <laughs> I thought you were talking about Hurricane Harden. That's where my mind's at mostly. It's on the NBA. But I got you. I got you. All right. Everybody, thank you guys so much for coming in. We'll wrap things up there. I do have to go do the front office show in just a little bit here. So we're going to start prepping for that. But thank you guys for joining me again. A little bit early for front, Fun Friday today, but thought we'd get in here and talk a little bit about Team USA, Austin Reeves, the Lakers shooting their defense, all that stuff. Appreciate all of you guys who came in here. And uh, again, make sure that you are subscribing to the Lakers Nation channel here on YouTube. Turn on those notifications, hit that like button, and then over on the podcast side, five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcast would definitely help out the show. Till next time, see ya, and stay safe.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.